Hey folks, welcome to episode four of Hang On To Your Hat. I'm Dan and Derek's here as well. And in the studio, we've got Chris Higgins, uh, who is uh, someone I know very well. He is both, <laughs> he's a father, he's a uh, refugee advocate and doctor, um, and he's also my father-in-law. <laughs> These days, fatherhood is everywhere. You can't get away from it. Not the blokes haven't tried. If you're not a father, you've got a father. You're a son of a dad or a daughter of a bloke. But either way, being a dad is no picnic. The fear, the anger, the confusion and, well, the love, of course. (laughs) Derek Myers and Dan Lee, together with their special guests, are here to share the highs and lows, the joys and the agony of being a modern dad. But most of all, to let you know that you're not alone. Ah, oh, there it is, Derek. There's the, there it is again. Beautiful. Our wonderful song. My very first collaboration with my wife, apart from the children. Nice. <laughs> 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 uh, welcome, folks. This is uh, this is uh, hang on to your hat. The only advice that we can give with any confidence on on being a parent or a father. And then we've got uh, Chris Higgins here today, Doctor Chris Higgins, and my father-in-law. So uh, let's see what he has to say Hello. <laughs> about fatherhood. <clears throat> Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. He, we, he made it through the, um, the sort of Collingwood maze into the, into the studio, through the scooters and whatnot. But once you're here, you're already pretty harrowed. Yeah. I'm sure of it. Once you've parked and got through. and I feel oh. terribly intimidated being in Collingwood these days because I feel really... Um, uncool and sort of old because everyone's so hip and sort of I, f- I feel like I'm very um, boringly gendered. That's in, in your own head though. You, <laughs> you, you might feel that way but, <laughs> yeah. in, you know, I was a, you know, I was a hippie, right, in the 80s or whatever or whatever you call a, an 80s hippie, a retrospective hippie and I, and I kind of started getting too lazy or busy or whatever, still mm. with my ideals and all that, my sense of freedom and all that. And I got to the stage where I just would just wore a t just look normal, mm. and I'd be you know you'd go down Brunswick Street for a, to the veggie bar or whatever, and and there'd be some full crusties you know sitting on the corner playing bongos <laughs> or something, yeah. and you'd smile and nod you know because they were I'm one your of you. brethren, <laughs> just like naturally because you'd always done it, and they would kind of scowl at you and everything. Yeah, and I think <laughs> you go, oh. a couple of months of that, and I reckon I just went, nah, you know, hippies are idiots. I'm I've turned sorry. into something else. I'm now someone else. I don't fit into that clan. Where, and I've because I've been in Broome for five years, and then in in on the other side of town for a couple of years, I'm completely lost now. And I get here, I feel like I feel like the man oppressing everyone, and I'm and I'm, and I'm fighting with myself as I walk down the street. So what are you going to do when your kids um, get to that age when they? Like a seeking identity and subcultures and things like that. And yeah. you're going to go, yeah, no, I was a, am I going to say, oh, I was a hippie, but forget it. They're all idiots. Or, you know, or you're just going to let them roll. Like, what, mm. do you, what do you do? So, did you, did your, did your children, see, this is going to be a bit strange because I have very <laughs> close knowledge of your children, Chris. Uh, but uh, did you, uh, did they have, uh, I, I can't remember whether they, did they, become goths or anything? Did Dave or Nicola do anything no, specifically really. kind of confronted? No, they, did, they didn't really go down that path. I mean, I I was a hippie once. Really? You know? Yeah, well, I I um, 
during the 60s, I, I was in London. I was at medical school. And, um, you know, that was a time we had the bell-bottom trousers and the flower ties and we went on, yeah. on marches and things. And it was just a fantastic, terrific time. It was so exciting during that time. Mm. Um, I, I'm not sure, you know, how much I was really into the band, the bomb stuff, but it was just so much fun to dress up that way <laughs> and go and sit in the parks and things and, and do that sort of stuff. That uh, it was it was great fun. But somehow I think my kids missed out on that. Yeah. There was there wasn't um it wasn't the hippie area. The hippie area was a bit before that. Yeah. So now, that, you guys are a little bit older. Yeah, we caught the tail end of it. My my parents were you know, my mother was still wearing velvet uh jumpsuits with little mirrors stitched into them and things like that <laughs> when I was a kid in the seventies. So we was, there was still because the Vietnam War was still going when I was a kid, or done yeah. just. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it was for you, Derek, right? Yeah, for sure. I, my my uh, my dad had a caftan, <laughs> and when you're dealing, you know, when you've got a marine engineer from Glasgow wearing a caftan, <laughs> you know that the the the, yeah. the culture has seeped across. It took a while, you know, yeah. but I don't know. I don't remember him wearing it that much, but was, I know. Look, I know. I wore it to dress as Demis Roussos for the uh, <laughs> for the uh, school social. <laughs> yeah, that would have worked well. It was, I won. <laughs> <laughs> was Was your dad um, the right age to to fight in the Vietnam War? He, no, Scottish. So we. Ah oh, right. Oh, uh, well, how would it have worked if we were here? We weren't citizens. When did you we get were here, here in seventy? Oh. Two ish. Oh, so they would have stopped sending people by then. Oh, when really? when did when did they stop sending people to? Oh, I'm just trying to think. See, I I was at um, I was basically Australian, but in England at mm. medical school. But I was the right age to go. Mm. But I was excused because I wasn't in Australia. I think even mm. though I was an Australian citizen. So I wonder if the converse is true if you weren't an Australian citizen but in Australia and living here, domiciled here. Yeah. And that all depended on your birthday, didn't it? They had to read out. It was yeah. the people on a certain birthday who were conscripted. That my old man got very, very close apparently. To being Well, what's close when it's random, but like the number yeah. was close. But uh, it's hard to imagine that now. You know, we, I think we're probably the first generation that haven't had any of that. Well, certainly not conscripted. You know, not having to go, we, yeah. That that affects. We were talking about it the other day the legacy of of war, of men coming back from war, and how that sort of hands down trauma from father to father. Did your did your old man fight fight in the first world? The, sorry, he, the second world war. He was. He never fought, but he was in the forces. Right. I'm not quite sure what he he painted aeroplanes or something for. All <laughs> right. But but no, he didn't well, fight. But I was always so great. It was my, one of my areas of angst that mm. there would be a war that my children would be eligible to fight yeah. in and that I'd see them go off to war mm. because I can't think of anything worse than being a parent and knowing that your children were were could be killed any day yeah. you know, oh. a long way away from you. Just, yeah. You know, it's horrifying. Awful thought. And most of human history has had those sorts of things just as the usual. Like most of human history has involved people going to war. Like we live in a really unusual time of, of not as much war, not as much unexpected death as Well, in our crazy. part of the world. In our part of the world, yeah. at least, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, well, it's yeah. Become, wouldn't be the same if you're in Syria. <laughs> no, that's right. But overall, there's sort of trends away from it. But, yeah. But yeah, with yeah. notable exceptions. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing. The, notice, the, the notion of conscription is completely surreal to me mm. and anyone younger than me. Mm. So you, you were in fear of that your children might end up fighting in a war. Well, yes. I mean, you never knew because what was going to happen. Because you've experienced the notion of being, you know, that, that close yeah. to being sent off. Yeah. No matter what That's your right. beliefs are. It's just incredibly surreal notion. Mm. Um, but then that goes away. But let's face it, it's, like you said, it's happening all over the world. We're just more and more yeah. isolated. Yeah. And it was, made, around it. it was made worse for me because I'm basically a pacifist. And and if if there had been a war that I would have had to have fought in, I think it would have been a great moral dilemma for me. Yeah. Um, so and I would have felt the same way about my children going. So um, yeah. It and was... it would have been your generation would have been the first ones where we're going to prison instead of being drafted was even an option. Prior to that, yeah. you'd become socially outcast. I would imagine, like if you took a stand and said I'm not going, went to jail and said though you would be cast out. Yes. yes. Did anyone yeah. at the time say, I'm, I'm just, it's not a moral thing. I haven't got a problem with killing other people or what my country's doing. I'm just, I'm just scared. too scared. <laughs> I just don't want to fucking die. It's not that important. Harden up your pansy, they would have said. It's irrelevant argument, isn't it? It's like I going mean, into surgery, I yeah. guess. No matter how scared you are, you're going in and it's happening. It's more yeah. acceptable these days to be scared of stuff and to be yeah. have an anxiety disorder mm. and people are sympathetic. Mm. But they wouldn't have been sympathetic in those days. Not for it's probably that. the only reason we don't have conscription anymore. <laughs> Everyone would be, you know, claiming anxiety disorders yeah. well, and, 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 and having them. And people yeah. were not keen to kill each other. There's a, there's a book, and I can't remember the name of it, that talks about the the the, the ability to be violent under those sort of circumstances yeah. when it's not just someone attacking you. When you're going as a military thing and how that to train everyone mm. to become killers for the Vietnam War prior mm. to that. And a lot of weapons were just found on the battlefield that hadn't been fired yeah. and because they just couldn't look someone in the face and shoot them. Yeah, and a lot, lot of weapons were fired into the air or in to the, the side. Yeah. You know? Amazing. It would be amazing yeah. to see how that – I know my grandfather had – there's a photo – uh, my dad's got of him standing with two North African blokes and a, in a sort of a grass hut and he and this other um, British uh, military guy were, had these two guys as captives for for ages and, and just how he got to know them and all that sort of stuff. I wonder, were they North African or they may have been Italian? Is that possible? The Italian, anyway, that's a whole military mm. history thing. But just that he told us about but learning, because he learned some Italian from Italians that he was fighting against mm. during the war. This is so not in our vocabulary anymore. And it's also not exclusively men anymore. No, it's now, not. Now we spread like the trauma. Yeah. Yeah. The women get to be traumatised by yeah. war as well. That's yeah. Good idea. <laughs> yeah. So you don't know what to expect. You're having kids. Yep. Something I'm really keen to to, to, on, to talk to you about. And, and <laughs> I was at a gig because make, make it about me for a minute. I was at a gig, and I had this a, something dawned on me. And I was watching this. There was a, a female performer on stage, punk rock, like going hard, like going hard at it. Feral, having a great time, dressed terribly. You know, like technically, I'm supposed <laughs> to go. Oh, but inside, I went. I've got an eight-year-old daughter, right? And I thought, 
God, I hope Clover at least grows up to think she can do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so I guess maybe I'm more, from your perspective, you're you obviously, what were you expecting? Yeah, what were your hopes for? So your thinking there was that you you would like her to have developed the confidence to be able to do something like that? Yeah, look, I'd rather my daughter was a punk rock singer. Yeah. And God knows what other associated behaviours, you know, go with that than than anything else. It was the first time I went, oh, God, I hope she does that. And, and I thought, oh, my, I wonder, my things have changed. Because, you know, I know yeah. my parents would have thought, well, I hope he becomes a doctor about me. Yeah. You know, like everything was just go math, science, do yeah. this, do that, do that. Yeah. Um, but does it, does it flip-flop generations? Like it happened to you, right? Yeah, you I didn't I get think, a punk rock singer. but Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. My generation... Um, your parents wanted you to have a career, mm. and one career, and see it see it right through. Yeah. Um, and I think things have changed from their parents being career orientated to just basically wanting their children to be happy. Yeah. In their own right, and yeah. that's a, so much a more healthy attitude. Yeah. yeah. Because some of these kids were driven, totally driven, and and reacted to that, and and. Yeah. Uh, you know, in all sorts of bad ways. Mm. So, yeah, I think raising my children, my aim was for them to be happy, whatever it took yeah. for them to be happy. Yeah. I always said I had and had no problems with one of my children being a, a you know, a street cleaner, mm. as long as they felt fulfilled and happy yeah. in themselves. Um, and I had no real ambitions for them to to be somebody great. Yeah. You know? yeah. So, what happens when? Yeah, where, where, what happens when you have Missy get, becoming so sort of famous so young? I mean, how, what, yeah. what goes through your mind as a parent when? I mean, you want your children to have some success in whatever it is that they like doing. Yes, but that must bring its own um, sort of concerns and. Yeah, well, I think it did bring its concerns. I mean, that was totally unexpected, mm. really, that that would happen. <clears throat> And not only just for me, but for her as well. Yeah. And as yeah. you know, there were some problems with that because she had a lot of problems with the fame that came along with yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I remember her saying at one stage, and this was in the early days, because her name is Melissa and has so many S's in, she'd walk along the street and she'd hear people talking about it and there'd be sort of stuff going on. and it And it freaked her out. So is this when she was Missy, though? Or when she was, you mean after she'd had records? This is after she had records right. in the early days. Yeah, yeah. When she, I mean, I think that's when she had the most trouble. Yeah. When she first, because it all happened very quickly and suddenly. Yeah. And, um, you know, she really had problems accepting that. So, you know, if you're that sort of a person who has a natural talent mm. um, and wants to be a success in whatever they do, and she wanted people to hear her music. Um, if you just happen to be a sort of person who's a bit shy as well mm. and doesn't want all that adulation and adoration, mm. it makes life very, very sort of difficult for you. Yeah. So I was always conscious of that. That was a problem for her, and that's why I worried a bit about her when when that first started happening. Yeah. Yeah. But as it turns out, she's grown and matured as the years have gone by, and sort of, you know, it's it doesn't bother her so much that. Yeah. That it, sort of. It's now. it's pretty amazing the way she's navigated that and I think it, it seems to me that it can go one of two ways. People either when people are a bit shy and a bit um 
uh, you know, prone to, to overthinking stuff or whatever, or, or depressive that you can, you can, um, just resort to drugs and alcohol to cope with the pressure and that kind of lifestyle, or you can rely more heavily on your family and friends and all that sort of stuff and become more, try to really pursue the normal thing. Because I think if I was, if that had happened to me when I was 20, I'd be dead by 23. For sure. <laughs> like, with, with your history, yeah, no Dan. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no doubt about it. Like the booze and drugs and Me the, too. the booze and drugs and the ego stuff too, because it's yeah. very confusing to have people telling you you're brilliant on that kind of yeah. level. I mean I've had I've had little bits of it. Just it just messes around with your sense of yourself. And if you're a bit mm. uncertain or about <laughs> your value or something mm. like that, yeah, it's it's a really it must be of scary or knowing how to proceed, because obviously you want to encourage people, you want to encourage her to do what she loves. But you, you sort Absolutely. of. Absolutely. So yeah. It's, it's lucky you have the ability to talk to them. And well, it seems yes. like you always yes. have. Yes. And if we're talking about parenting, mm. you know, let's put it on record that's the most important thing that sort of relationship yeah. with your children where they feel that they can talk to you. And that's all about being non judgmental. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So sometimes I think you've really got to hold back. You know, you want to say this, you want to criticize, you want to tell them what to do, um, but you've just got to hold back. You've got to make sure that you don't say those sort of things that could upset them so they're happy and happy to talk to you. Yeah, Keeping that's those the lines eternal of communication open. I'm so yeah. scared of that part of it, you know. I mean, mm. I'm already in it, 12, 11 and 9 or whatever they are, mm. but, but – but yeah, it's it's just terrifying when it when the communication gets more important later on. Yeah. I'm practicing here and there. And if but, you want them to have that resilience to cope when yeah. when big pressure things happen, yeah, like uh, you know, you, you need to have allowed them to. Uh, it's a hard one though. Set yourself you, up as a tool. Yeah, in their in their toolkit <laughs> yeah. rather than a rather yes, than a right. Rather than a, another person to hide things from, yeah, I yeah. suppose. Yeah. And you but, need to let them make mistakes too. Right. So that's another thing. Sometimes you have to hold back about sort of stopping them making mistakes yeah. as long as it's not disastrous mm. um, because that's a good way to learn. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, and then knowing you, you might see something coming and you have to kind of let people figure their stuff out themselves. Yeah. But your urge, your incredible urge is to just protect them no matter what, right? Yeah, you've got to yeah, really check yeah. your check That's your motives. That's so natural, isn't it? Yeah. You know? And that is part of your job. You've got to protect them as well. Yeah. So you, you've got to sort of let them go, but you've got to do a certain amount of hovering. Yeah. Hopefully so that you're not seen doing it. <laughs> right. But you've got to uh, – you've just got to sort of make sure they don't get into too much trouble. So I suppose the insurance policy, because th- th- you've got these – these opposing urges, right, to protect and to allow them to learn all that stuff. Your, your, your insurance policy is really to to nurture that trust and that understanding really early from the beginning. Yeah. So because yeah. if because yeah, at least then if they get into trouble, no matter what happens, if they have a very good com and um, honest relationship with you, then they can. They'll always come to you. They're not just going to hide in a hotel doing heroin. You know. Well, hopefully. I think so. I mean. I- <laughs> I think I did have a very open... We both had an open relationship with our kids and they told us most things, Mm. um, you know, like the first time they had sex and all that, that was not a secret. Mm. Um, But when it came to the drug 
stuff, right. you know, and experimenting. <laughs> they knew how strongly we felt about that. <clears throat> and even though we never overtly told them that they shouldn't do it, yeah. they didn't really tell us what was going on. We only discovered... They were protecting you. Yeah, we, yeah. we only discovered later on, hmm. you know. It's funny. There was a point for me. Everyone uses the term experimenting with drugs. It sounds <laughs> like you've got a clipboard and you're kind of timing things and <laughs> measuring outcomes and control <laughs> <Yes>. groups. There's <laughs> no experimenting. Let's see yeah. how many years I can do it for. <laughs> yeah. For me, it was just knock the lid off and go till you drop. But yeah. that's a horrifying idea because, like, to, to let – they, they're not they're gonna, they're going to do everything I did possibly – or worse. Not necessarily. Let, it's a whole different I know. It's, it's a whole, whole different, different set of... But do I want to protect them from that? I mean, I'm, I've, I've learned so much from my experience. It could have killed me, but it didn't. But it certainly benefited me now to have gone through adversity, to have tried, to have come through something. You well, can't, absolutely. You don't that, want to yeah. push that on. Yes. Something. You're using your prior experiences to gain maturity now. Look right. back and say, you Which know, is, I've done that. I've learned from it. I, I won't do it again. But I think today's a different kettle of fish um, because, and maybe this is past your time as well, but now we've got the ice thing. Mm. That's a whole new ball game. So that's pretty much more dangerous than anything we've had before. Actually, there was an article in The Age this morning about how ice is responsible. When young people have strokes, right. um, it's odds on that ice is yeah. implicated in that somewhere. And would that be um, to do with just the, the, the um, stimul the, the the raising of the blood pressure and the- yeah, that's right. The racing heart, the high blood pressure, and all that sort of thing that can happen. Yeah, so it's scary out there now. And yeah. as you know, people on ice do some desperate stuff, and you know, yeah, they're um, like masturbating yeah. into traffic at a roundabout, things like that. Jerking oh, off that's some, I think that's some new drug, Dan, that we haven't got here yet. <laughs> that's some, some <laughs> guy was doing, doing that in, in Broome because there's all these regional places that get that are getting struck by massive ice use too, yeah. you know, like country towns nice and, and cheap, stuff. I suppose. They don't, yeah. have to, do they, they don't have to bring it from other countries, do they? Do they make it? Yeah, you can, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Made in laboratories yeah. Yeah. here, I'm sure. And so much stronger than a lot of the drugs, that like, like just – good old-fashioned dirty biker speed that used to exist years ago was nowhere near. It's like marijuana being so much stronger now than it was in the 60s. People just toke on joints all day and be quite functional, but now, you, you know, it's so much stronger. But, Dan, how, how do you feel looking back on how you used to be, mm. you know, and all the problems you went through with alcohol and so on? Mm. I mean, do you feel looking back on that now that it's – it was an important part of your life that you wouldn't have missed because it's it's taught you so many important lessons. Or yeah, sort of. I mean, can you can you put that positive a spin on it? Well, you sort of have to. There's a narrative thing that goes on that I'm very interested in. That you you write the narrative and you're constantly rewriting your narrative, your personal story, to make it bearable. You know, you do it with parenting, don't you? Where you've got to kind of got to. Tell yourself the story that allows you to keep functioning when you don't have a choice. It's like if I do something regretful, I've had this trouble getting angry with Sammy, um, and I've got to be philosophical about it and f- forgive myself a bit. Otherwise, if I tell myself I'm a shit parent, then you know the pressure just builds. So I, I don't know if I could have been any different to the way, but but that that period that I went through with booze and drugs is not like. 
it horrifies me to think of anyone, any of the kids going through that. But, and I don't know how my mother is, you know, didn't die from worry with all that. Because mothers too, they know when you're on a bender. Mm. I, I mightn't have heard from my mother for a week. And then the, the day I go on a bender, she starts ringing me. <laughs> Where are you? What's going on? What? How do you know? <laughs> mothers know this stuff. ESP. Yeah, and it's the wor- last thing you want to... I don't know. That's a, it's such a hard thing because I know that I can't stop it, you know. Like I can't mm. – the, the worst thing I can do is be really anti-drugs and alcohol and really push them away from it. I mean, I've got to just be honest with them as they're growing up and mm. talk, a, talk about my experience. And oh, my, I mean – I worry about that a bit, about truth. I do. I do. I think there's a lot of danger in truth and too much <laughs> – or, or maybe maybe well, spilling your guts. Sure, sure. Um, you know, I, I think they're kids. Sorry, kids, but I think they're a bit silly in many ways. And even if you're saying, "Look, this is what," like my 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 son just turned to me the other day and said, "Do you ever see? I'm even worried. That I don't listen to this. <laughs> it's rated X." But he said to me, "Did you smoke? We're talking about cigarettes or something." And he goes, "Did you?" Did you ever smoke cigarettes? And I just went, I'm not, I'm not ready to tell him that because <laughs> even if I back it up with a, yeah, but oh, we didn't know any better. My parents said that to me. We didn't know any yeah. better. It was you, the seventies. We know now, darling. so you don't. And then I did. So how, how old's your son? He's, he's eleven. Eleven. Yeah. Oh, he'd be old enough, wouldn't he, to understand that? You know, you did it, but maybe maybe I just don't want to know his dad's a dickhead. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's it, it's hard. Too much information, you know. Yeah. This old artist, I I, I was once cruising Knowing through when, age appropriateness, yeah. right? At least, going so yeah, go. yeah, yeah. So the, I was with a, a girlfriend of mine, and we were cruising down the Grayson Road. There was a, a an artist. She said, "I'll drop in on my friend," and he's got this lush garden somewhere in some little town. And it was like, well, we sat down and spoke to him. I never met him before, and he was just heartbroken. Hmm. About his daughter, who was using heroin, mm. and he was blaming himself. He was just sitting there going, and he was he was pinpointing at a, a moment that that we were just talking about the moment that he said to her, you know, as a you know, being honest and stuff, you know, uh, if you you shouldn't you should stay away from all the manufactured drugs, and. <laughs> You know, if you have to use a drug, use the heroin because it's pure. Oh, no. <laughs> right? And he's and 10 years later, he's just like, his heart's broken. He's tried but to- Then you're going to find send something, her, aren't send you? her on world trips. He's done everything he can. He just doesn't know what to do. Yeah. Right? So uh, you don't know what you're going to say that they're going to- But, you know, as the, as the kid that was out of control, I, and, and now looking at it, I know my mother does that. She'll look at things she did and she could have done better and she blames herself for- Taking us to South Gippsland and putting us in a school full of fucking assholes, and, and you know, just the trouble we had at school. But as the kid, I I, I come back to that, and I feel a bit like it, th- this is my journey. What I went through is my journey, and it's not uh, it's not hers to to be apologising for or feel bad about. I, I keep saying, well, you don't need to feel bad about it. It all happened the way it just happened, and no one. 
none of it was malicious negligence or anything like that. So there's, I've also want to own my story and, and my kids will want to own theirs too. Like, like me feeling like I'm to blame for things that happen to them in their life. I've got to be careful of that too, because it's theirs. Yeah, I think yeah. it illustrates the fact that you've got to be forgiving to yourself. Yeah. Because when you look back at some of the things you've done, um, you were doing the what you thought was right at the time. Mm. There's absolutely no logical way in which you should feel guilty about stuff you've done when you felt and hoped you were doing the right thing at yeah. the time. But, of course, it's human nature to feel guilty. Yeah, yes. and those that are willfully negligent probably don't feel bad about it. No, probably. You know what I mean? Because you're, yeah. you're a type of lunatic. Right. Yes. So it's often people who really were doing the best they could. And there's, I mean, th there's so many opportunities for that, isn't there? If you look back, if you want to really get into the regret game, yeah, you can go, if I hadn't done this. Yeah. Yeah. Talk, talking about telling your children stuff, can I tell you a story about me and mm. my son? It's sort of... Vaguely relevant. Yeah, <laughs> that's how we roll. <laughs> so, so David and I have done a lot of adventures overseas. We've done some mountain climbing, some high altitude um, trekking, and so on. And we were in South America um, trying to climb this mountain called Aconcagua, which is close to seven thousand meters. Um, and we we went off from base camp up to Camp One. It was a long, hard slog. It was very cold. It was very steep, a lot of ice and stuff around. And David, who's a very strong climber, towards the end of that day started to, to wilt a bit. And so we set camp on a little sort of glacier ledge. Um, there were about seven or eight little tents. And it's eerily quiet in those sorts of places. Very beautiful, absolutely deathly quiet. And Dave wouldn't eat his dinner, <clears throat> and that's very unusual for him. <clears throat> and I start to realise he was sick. He had altitude sickness. So he then said he had a splitting headache. He then started to talk a bit strangely. He was confused. He couldn't quite walk properly. He was staggering a bit. And I started to get very worried because it was too late at night to take him down the mountain, which would have been dangerous. And... Um, and I couldn't let him sleep because when you've got altitude sickness, you go to sleep, your oxygen levels drop and, and you get much sicker. So I had to keep him awake all night. So I fed him black coffee and I talked to him for the whole night. Wow. And when you talk to someone for that amount of time, you sort of run out of things to say. So <clears throat> I thought, I'll tell him the story of my life from the year top, from what I can remember. Because <laughs> um, I couldn't think of anything else to say. So I, so I told him all this stuff and um, a lot of stuff I would not normally have told him. Yeah, yeah. So I pulled out all the stories, you know, just to try and keep him awake and, and keep him wow. conscious. And um, anyway, come morning, he was still alive and <clears throat> was dawn and we got out of the tents and... and so on, and he staggered out of the tent. And then I had all these other people in the other tents come up and said to me, look, that was really fascinating last night. <laughs> <laughs> but I missed the end of that story about the, the, the two nurses in the hospital. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, we got him down the mountain. <clears throat> a few hundred metres down, he sort of started recovering. Right. 
So what you should tell your children, that's slightly unusual circumstances. No, that's great. That's a great premise for a yeah, Does of, he remember yeah, any of it? For a story. It just well, that's a good point. I think he remembered um, most of it. He did ask me to repeat a few things. <laughs> <laughs> wow. One of our travelling stories. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's such amazing. a great thing to do. Well, I was thinking as you started talking about that, oh, I, I should do that with Sammy get in a, you know, do these climbing adventures or something. But then you started talking about the altitude sickness and I went, oh, God, I don't know. Yeah, I that. started palpitating as soon as you said that. Well, oh, no, you boy. don't have to go to, to no. altitude, but I think it illustrates the fact that shared experiences with your children yeah. are so invaluable because as you two probably do, you think back on your childhood, you remember those special moments that you yeah. you spent with your, your mum or your dad. Yeah. Um. And children, I think, really, really appreciate that. Yeah, 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 yeah for sure. And that's and this is how you have that kind of relationship. And it's it's hard to quantify it, isn't it? Because you you know, I think when people haven't got much time, they want to squeeze in quality time with kids and stuff. But there's a lot of time where you need to be just being together, just in each other's company. Yep. And I suppose yep. doing something like that, where you're having to stay up all night or or, or mountain climbing. It p- puts you in a position where you're just together because yep. what you're doing is fairly might be difficult, but it's not, you know, complicated. Well, it's facing adversity together and overcoming yeah. obstacles, and you know that's a great gives you a great sense of togetherness. That's lovely, and then that. you and you learn a lot about each other too. Don't yeah, you? You, you get to test your sort of character on that stuff. Yeah, yeah, well, that's right. What age was he then? Oh, he was um, in his late twenties. Okay. I suppose, 27, 28, something like that. But, you know, even spending time with your kids when they're little, um, I think kids sort of know when you're really there and you're not there. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, there are times when, yeah, sure, you, you've got to sit at your desk and you've got to do stuff and they're sort of playing and you're only half with them. Um, but there have to be other times when you got your your whole attention is devoted to them. Yeah, you know, that sort of keeps the relationship going, doesn't it? That's it's hard. True. That's and that's hard for people because, especially with bloody iPhones and stuff. You know, we're yeah. really trying to limit how much we're on the phone around the kids because it just for that. It's so hard though because everything's happening in it's real like time. It's like ice in our house. It's, it's just yeah. it, it is creeping in. I turned to my yeah. wife last night and said, "What you're doing is what you saw our te- our teenage niece, who's now 22, so." So what you're doing is exactly what enraged you 10 years ago yeah. or eight years ago or whatever. When you saw her, you go, she doesn't look up. She yeah. And your children are actually approaching you to talk to you and stuff. I'm doing it too. I'm not judging yeah. my wife. No, it's, but it's I'm hard. saying yeah. this is it. And her response was, well, I've just got to do this. I said, that's exactly, this is this is exactly the the reaction that mm. we both are doing. Yeah. And, and, and you see them. They, they Like the other day, I, we got a glue gun. Dan, get a hot glue gun. It's <laughs> crazy. It's the answer to parenting. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you can craft quickly. You don't have right. to glue something and then walk away and find something to do. Oh, I see, you, yeah. It's so good. So I had a day on Sunday making thing, making Newton's cradles with the kids. We went and bought some marbles and and they're, they're sti- you can see them glowing, you know. that's They shouldn't be glowing from that one experience. They, it well, should they be all do, the time, don't they, from they unexpected just, things? They took them to school and showed them off to their teachers yeah. and they were they nuts don't need, for it. You know, the media is, you know, 
media is trying to create more elaborate animated films and exciting things for kids, and yeah. there's a million things you can take them to, but just spending that time with them Icy Pole Stand, in the garden yeah. brings them alive in a way that's totally they, – they can – no matter how exciting the Hollywood movie is, they start to glaze over very quickly once, you know, because yeah. it doesn't it doesn't compensate for that kind of connection. The reward senses, tick, yeah, tick, tick tick time. That's something that's going to be. Oh, um, Scott, who was in here the other day, Scott Edgar was saying that he reckons that the screen issue is going to be like the thalidomide of our generation, <laughs> where you know that in in twenty years' time, all the there'll be class actions. Yeah. Uh, the, the damage it does to people's lives in in unforeseen ways, you know. Well, the kids turning eighteen now, I I reckon are, are going to suffer from it because they've mm. just been uncontrolled, uninhibited phone crazy screen guys. Yeah. But then the parents now—that's the next thing. We're the we're the ones that have got to be on top of this thing, not for how much the kids are using it, for how much we're training them that it's normal. It's like. That's enough screen time. <laughs> you can yeah, look yeah. up for two seconds. So, so camping too. So we, we've got to do this, Derek. You should do it. I should do it. We, we've got to try to find some time to do things like camping even yeah. and going, just taking them somewhere wow. where there's less to be distracted by. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And those things they really do remember. So, you know, it's not so much they'll remember what goes on in the house from day to day. They'll appreciate it. It'll have an effect on their psyche mm. if you do stuff with them on, on a regular basis. But <clears throat> the trips you do are something something else. They're special. Yeah. And and they will remember those in years to come. You know, those, and you can really things. do it. It doesn't have to be something as as um, far away and as elaborate as climbing mountains. You can oh. you can you can take them to the beach or the bush and just wander around. I mean, it's like with Sammy in the garden, or especially when he was younger, hours of just digging around in the undergrowth is, you know, far more exciting than anything yeah. else. Oh, yeah. Or getting up under the car. Alarming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but if he's getting up under the car because you're into, maybe that's not a good example, but in the bushes because yeah. you're interacting with him, he's hiding from you and you're there. Yeah. It's a bit different to him getting up in the bushes because you're over there checking you whether you've right, got, he's just got any new followers on Instagram or something like that, which yeah. you, you don't suffer from. No. You're immune to that. Yeah. What's the I I'm a disasterizer. So I'm interested in knowing what it's like to be a, a panic the panic. You get a baby and you go, like to me it was fifty fifty every night whether it was gonna be and it wasn't really the case. I had healthy babies, but I was kind of half expecting them to, to just, you know, to die to get in the night, die, you know, all the time, yeah. or or fall off, or bang their heads. It was just all the time. If you're a you're a you're a doctor, does that make it better or worse? Oh, I think it makes it better because you see so much of that stuff. I mean, you know, I did obstetrics for ten years, delivering babies, so I was mm. very involved in in little babies and so on. But I think that's mainly something with your first child, isn't it? That sort of yeah, the next one you ignore. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the next one gets short thrift. To their great benefit, probably. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, I think so. Um, but no, I, I think it's very normal to be very anxious about your first baby. Yeah. Not only because you're not sure what might happen to them at any one moment, but also you have no real skills. You have no experience of skills. Yeah. You're mm. anxious about your ability to to parent and to know what to do for them. Mm. It's a tough time that, that and they're going. They're going. Oh, I've got a headache, and then you go. Oh, 
I've, you know, like a ten-year-old <laughs> or something. Google. I've got a headache. Well, Doctor Google, <laughs> you got. You, they say I've got a headache, and then you go, oh, you know, and then they then they go, I've had it for forever. And you go, what do you mean? <laughs> how, how long's ever? Like all day? No, I've had it every day for two months. Yeah. And Why you didn't just you go, tell me? Fuck. What? <laughs> and you say, and then- it's pretty unusual to have a headache for one and a half months and not mention it. <laughs> and then you go, you go to Google and you look at the list. The top of the list is brain tumours and meningitis. Oh, no, you know? I know. I know. <laughs> that was only one, I only looked at that once. Uh, oh, God. But, but yeah. But, it's, you know, the, it, that decision-making is very hard, I find. When... You know, there was one time I called an ambulance with a, it was a croup thing. I, oh, my son yeah. was a, a croup, croupier. <laughs> a croupier, yeah. <laughs> took it's a nice way of putting it. We've, <laughs> yes. we've had some dreadful croup nights as well. Yes, yes, yeah. I've been involved in yeah. one or two of those. Yeah, he's been over in the middle of the night yeah. To, yeah. to kind of assess. Where, where we, and, and it's hard to know, isn't it? It's hard to know. Yeah. And it's terrifying. We had Samuel Crew ready to go to hospital, remember that time? Yeah. And we took him out in the cold air and the cold air fixed him. Yeah, yeah. You know, halfway it. to the car and then turned back again. Yeah. yeah. Baby Tom was sat in the ambulance perfectly fine. Yeah. Because ah. the cold air. Give us yeah. a little cold. The next time he had the croup real bad, it was thick, hot summer. Yeah. So I ran him outside. Yeah. Well, I'm going to sort this out. <laughs> And it was kind of hotter Hot outside. outside. I've had that outside. one too. It's a dreadful, dreadful thing when you wake up to that barking noise. You've got to take it, do something. They sit up and you see their face, and their face is, is terrified. They, they're going, I, know, oh, it's I can't honest. breathe. Yeah. Go, oh, that's yeah. no good. I've always been an asthmatic, so I'm, I'm pretty highly tuned to that, the, the frightening notion of not not breathing. So this is a test for you to deal with your own anxiety too. Like I've I've got a bit yeah. better when he's like that because I'm aware that if I stay calm, he's more likely to be calm. If I'm Particularly pain. the case with croup as well. Yeah. Yeah. That they, they tighten up, do they? When Well, the old-fashioned treatment was to put them in steam and people still do that. And then the Royal Children's Hospital worked out that it's not the steam that's that's setting them down. It's just the sort of the relaxation and everything. So whatever you do with them that settles them down emotionally, right. the croup yeah. will get better. Yeah. So TV. Uh, yeah. TV. Really? Why not? Seriously, Take I their put mind him off in, it. just put him in front of the telly one time and he just stops. Like it, it's the cure all. It's a panacea for everything. If if that's if your kid doesn't watch lots of TV, I suppose it's like this instant. Um, Short circuit of, I mean, I'm sure if you had it, if you were injured badly enough, it would be hard to be distracted by TV. But, but your yet, TV is broken. That's broken. <laughs> yeah, we, we told him it's broken. We're still waiting for the guy to come and fix it. Oh, really? <laughs> it's been a month. Yeah, oh. Too much anxiety <laughs> around and, the TV. And when it's fixed, for some reason, it's only getting SBS <laughs> <laughs> yeah. or ABC or whatever. Yeah, yeah that's right. ABC TV. So, oh, tell me, I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, um, so when you did obstetrics too, there mm. were the ex- expectations on fathers then and now. Like what was mm. what was the sense of what fathers were doing? Well, You mean during the delivery? During the delivery. I mean, you, so predominantly they just were out of the, out of the picture, out of the room. Well, the I always encourage fathers to be at the delivery, but there are a fair few who really didn't want to do it. 
Um, right. But they were being pushed into doing it by their <laughs> wives. And you could spot them a mile off because they started to go green. And, right. and you could see this happening. And then their eyes sort of wandered out towards the ceiling and they keeled over. I had a few of those wow. happen. <laughs> Some of them fell quite heavily. And, and, you know, you're in the process of delivering the baby and you had a father laid out unconscious on the floor. It <laughs> was not unusual. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think that... So maybe back in the day, the, the there was they were pushed into doing it. Some of them by, mm. by their wives. Now we, I'm going to say it. We are still pushed into being there <laughs> by the general expectation. It doesn't even have to be said anymore. Yeah. So we preempt the, the the terrors of saying I don't really want to be there with. Sure, of course I'm going to be there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Am I giving away too much? <laughs> it's probably. I, I don't think it was. I don't think it's altogether pleasant. Well, it's not. No, it's not altogether <laughs> pleasant. But I. But also knowing how much to encourage. Like I. I'm always. Like, just give her the epidural. Just give it to her. Give it to her. Like, yeah. As soon as she looks a bit, because you're like, and and understandably, women want to have control you over the, wife, their experience right? too, and 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 you you only have so many opportunities to give birth and and you want to experience it on your terms and the way you want it but it's there's always things that happen and you have to be careful as a as a partner and to not just you know to respect that because i just want her to be pain free mm. you know it's the well, same with natural. and but there's so much emotional stuff for women in, uh, involved in that it's the same with breastfeeding like yeah. the solution often seems like well just wean stop breastfeeding if it's problematic but that's a very uh, naive and simple way of looking at it because there's so much to do with bonding and connecting with mm. baby and all all this stuff that uh, we don't kind of get as men. But it's, we're more aware well, of it now than we used to be. I, mm. I mean, I've I've heard of husbands being thrown out of the delivery room these days by the wives. Oh, really? Because they completely <laughs> go to pieces. Right. Do they just demand like, someone do something about yeah, the pain? That's, that's, that, <laughs> yeah, that sort of a thing. Yeah, you know, and and so you know. Out, I'll do better without you. Yeah. And the other thing is never go around down the working end if you're a dad. Right. You can, <laughs> right. Where, yeah, yeah. where it's a bloody mess. Yeah. I mean, Stay with, yeah. Oh, that, that, Something that could have forget. long-term effects. Mm. Yeah. So these days no, no one says that. No? No. They don't say don't go down the business end. But uh, we do park the husbands up the other end and, and you know, put them on a chair and, and someone – Sort of watches. Although, of course, you get the husbands who've got the cameras. That's what I was going to say. They've a, got the, the picture. shooting oh, a Hollywood movie, yeah. don't they? Yeah, that's right. Could you groan oh. a bit louder, please? It's not. I want it to be more emotive. <laughs> you do that one again. <laughs> Come on to the next attraction. I've got to change the film. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it, yeah, I think it did. Yeah, I don't. It didn't didn't really bother me, but mm. but no one said, "Oh, you know, stay up here," because that's where your job is. Yeah, the yeah. headspace, you yeah. know. Like, yeah, you're the emotional support. Yeah, and, and mm. back rubbing and providing <laughs> icy poles and all mm. sorts of things. Mm. But, but um, yeah, I, I found we went to the Mercy Birthing. Mm. Oh, what was it called? The Birthing Centre. Birthing Centre. And that was great. It stopped now, apparently. Um, but it was a great concept. Mm. And so you, were, you weren't technically in a hospital, but it was right there. So yeah, the contemporary yeah, that's version right. of home so birth. So it's it's made up to look like a your, a, your living room, isn't it? Or maybe a hotel, comfortable room. chairs, it's nicer and things. Than my yeah, <laughs> and they try and keep the doctors away. So you exactly. just have, have so the midwives. It's, it's midwives, but then sort of thing. if it gets like my f- 
my firstborn and then you literally it's like a set so you literally they wheel you out. in in the end after 30 hours or something of labor and the little kid was like a cone head mm. they've gone right that's it and so they they just wheel you through a door and you're magically in a hospital yeah, yeah right and yeah it's right there and stuff like yeah. that yeah. yeah so it's yeah. pretty good but the but the build up the meetings you go to I was a bit cross with the there was a I, I all that stuff about bonding and this is this is really important. I just think the way they worded it about how everything's important might have might have made it might have made a, I thought there was something that was rattling there might have made a, people anxious if they did get wheeled away. Because then they they said all this stuff and it's like this is really important. This is really important to go <laughs> yeah. straight on the breast. All this is really important. But fifty percent of you will, will get wheeled into the hospital. Yeah, it's like, oh, I, so I was angry my, at the. I was at, like, okay, it's beneficial, yeah. but not critical. We had you the, have we, a living child. That's the the, the first thing. one. Remember, we went to those birthing classes. We went to the the full natural birth. Um, you know, you've yeah. got to do it natural, squatting in a river, yeah. otherwise the baby will be damaged for life. Type angle, and then you've got yeah. the obstetricians who, yes. and the medical intervention stuff, and there was. Well, I felt very much like we stepped in the middle of a battleground between the natural birthers and the medical world. And both mm. of them were annoying me, really, because I felt like we were the ones being, you know, left out of the picture because they're both talking in such extreme ways. And no one's birth is is kind of um, usual, normal. and yeah. they, they always... You know. There's a happy medium, isn't there, yeah. between those two things, and and I agree it can be difficult feeling you're in the middle of a yeah. of a battleground, but um, certainly you 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 need to negotiate your way. Mm. Um, but you have a reasonable amount of say as yeah. in that sort of thing, and if you express your wishes, you you hope that they'll yeah. fall into line a bit. And we found them pretty good. Like as if St Vincent's, we were told that you'll have a cesarean. There's no, they won't let you do it at St Vincent's. You know, but that wasn't true. We gave them a birth plan. We talked to them about it, and we did everything we, you know, they did as much of what we we wanted to do as was possible. You know, and they did yeah. listen to it. There was a bit of catastrophizing, but but in the end, you just want a baby that's healthy well, you and do. alive. Yeah, I I used to do. There was a method of delivery called the Le Boyer delivery. He was a French um, obstetric sounds very sort <laughs> professor. Of and, and it was all about turning down the lights at the time of the delivery oh, yeah. and having nice music, the baby going straight on the breast, and then you delayed cutting the cord till the right time, yeah, and right. the baby went in nice warm water and all this sort of thing. And and I'm, I'm quite – it was all slightly hokey-pokey, mm. but it, it just – was a nice feeling. It was a right. nice atmosphere in the room, and and I think that was. Uh, and that's that's the know, key, isn't it? Yeah, it yeah. relax the parents and the crazy dad who's worried about all this yeah. stuff. And, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Get rid of the machine that goes bing. And that, was, <laughs> that was the whole <laughs> point of the birthing center. There was no machines yeah. visible. Yeah, but I tell you what, if you open these cupboard doors, they weren't where you put your wallet. <laughs> no. There was like stuff. There it was, was a surgical little, team in special there. little sockets for Ready different gases and things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you do have to be aware if your baby comes out absolutely blue, then they're going to be whisked off and yeah. and uh, resuscitated. And you and you want them to obviously. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, there's all those videos on 
There's videos on the internet of people squatting in rivers in the Amazon and things oh, like right. that. Western people, I mean. There's like these incredible people that can just give birth anywhere. And, and they <laughs> should be kind of banned because mothers go and watch these super birthers just kind of joyfully giving birth in all sorts of places. Just popping and it's a bit unfair. We're it's just like, shelling like peas. oh, it's a magnificent experience of, you know, and, and it's, I'm sure it is, but, you know, people get these expectations. Well, I've seen people start that way and just totally go to pieces. Yeah, yeah, you exactly, know. exactly. I've had, it's actually very difficult to deliver a baby in the squatting position um, mm. because you've got to hold yourself up. I mean, normally you'd have one person either side holding you, but it's a difficult position to maintain. Yeah, and, yeah, you've got to um, have good, good muscle. You'd yeah. have to do a lot of training. We've all been yeah. on holidays in Thailand. It's, it's difficult enough for a few minutes, let alone a full day. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> the squat toilets, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, and have you found the the – because Missy and I were talking a little bit about um, there's, there's always differences in people's parenting styles too, and you don't really – this is something you often don't talk about before you have kids, but you have the same values hopefully, but – different views on how you should go about, you know, running the parenting. Um, and is that something you've thought a lot about? You mean mum and dad both have mum difference and, dad having different... and that can create some friction between you. Right. And, and, you know, the need to be on the same page with certain issues. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, has, that, that's, that's, I'd never thought of that before. I, th I think that happens in every single with every single couple to mm. a greater or lesser extent. Yeah. You can never both totally agree, can you, on, on no. how your children should be brought up. I mean, I can think that we had slightly different ideas. Um, um, but, you know, it's the same old thing. You've got to communicate. You've got to yeah. work it out. You've you've got to come to some compromise. And at least come to, a, come to a shared approach that's going to yeah. be... Yeah, yeah. And those conversations but, done away from the children, perhaps. Yes, preferably done away from yeah, the children. Sometimes they kick off and you go, oh, perhaps we should talk about this because they'll, they'll be they'll, – God, that's hard to – They'll lobby it? as well, just like, oh, I like Dad's idea about uh. – <laughs> But, you know, having said that, I think children are pretty perceptive and clever and um, they will accept a certain amount of different parenting from, from both yeah, parents. True. They'll come to terms with that. You know, mum and dad are slightly different. They may play no, one off against say, the other, which wait till your mother happen. gets home. They'll make it work for them too. <laughs> we used to do that. Look, I used to. I knew what I needed to say to mum, and I knew what I needed to say to dad. Yes. Not not, and it wasn't totally malicious. It was always to kind of protect them as well. There was no point in telling mum the absolute truth on certain topics, especially mm. as when we were teenagers. Um, maybe if I had, I wouldn't have got in all the trouble I was in. <laughs> but I, I think we. But overall, we had a good conversational relationship with our parents. It's like I, I find when when I came into your family and with, with Missy and the way you and Mark talk to the kids is so similar to my parents. Yeah. Like nothing's off the table. I remember coming when when we when Missy and I first got together and we went out to some very – she wasn't there actually. She was somewhere else. So it was the first time I'd been with just you guys and we were in some posh restaurant in Armadale, really posh restaurant, and we were talking about strange – 
sexual diseases and, <laughs> and, and <laughs> we were just these really As outrageous. You do when yeah, quite loudly in the middle of these yeah. people. And and then I'd stop and all I could hear was just the light clinking of silverware <laughs> around us. <and laughs> they they're all just leaning in slightly. So that was that was so great. That's such yeah. a noticeable difference to like I don't have to change the way I talk around you or my parents for that mm. matter. And mm. that's not the case for everyone. You no, know? it's not the case for me. Mm. Isn't it, Jerry? No. No. No, I'm, I'm tiptoe around. My parents and are in their 80s older. now, so yeah. I'm kind of. Do you know that's. I, got, I think it got to the stage in the mid 70s where you just went, all right, they are. They have their opinions now. Let's I not, think that, not trouble them. It's like not telling. It's not, not telling yeah. your parents about drugs when you're, you know, when you're in your late teens to protect them, sort of thing. Yeah. You know, now it's just like, oh, they're, just, they're you know, they're not going to, they're not going to benefit. No, you're not. You're going to listen to my lows, so yeah. I just tell them the highs. Yeah, and that's it. But I also- think it's good to be open as much as you can with your children. But you know, you you've got your own sort of uh, inhibitions and things, yeah, and, yeah. and you have to take those into account. Yeah, yeah. and and um, I forgot what I was going to say. Bugger. Um, yeah, uh, no, nah, it's gone. That's all right. I wanted to before we grind to a halt. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to ask. We've got a new segment called "What the Dickens, Doctor Higgins," <laughs> and, and it's <laughs> Dan loves it when I make up new segments <laughs> on the spot. <laughs> so you my business idea, so my business idea of having a food van uh, outside the children's hospital for nervous Nellies. Who aren't sure what their kids are allergic to, so they can go and and go and buy the kids a peanut butter sandwich at the food truck outside the children's hospital. <laughs> so if they've got a peanut allergy, they can rock on in. We all remember. You remember the first time you yeah. gave the kids peanut butter, and you're just watching them. Wait yeah. And see what happens. I think that's such a wonderful idea, Derek. Yes. I could not think <laughs> of a better idea. A food truck that serves peanut butter, egg, and what else are the allergies that tend to be? But just all the allergy. Food. You might as well Maybe just lump even a little all the basket of bees that you can. <laughs> yeah, just put all the really great allergens in one sandwich. Yeah. yeah so yeah. you know, if if you clear with that, you're clear forever. Yeah. If if you have a reaction, then you've then got to go back and do one right. at a time afterwards. Yes. Yeah. But you got to be part right outside casualty where they got the adrenaline injection. Just <laughs> yeah. just waiting. And you put some kind of Botox in this. Oh no, I'm going corrupt now. My first instinct <laughs> is to corrupt. Put something in there that everyone's allergic to, so then you sell eight sandwiches. Yeah, that's bad. Don't take that back. I'm going to edit that out. Trying to work out. Yeah. You could make a lot of money this way and end up in jail. <laughs> that's right. yeah. True. Yeah. Like po- so many poisoning children outside the hospital. Yes, that's, that's right. Bad. Yeah. When you when you say it like that, it doesn't sound so great, does it? When you say poisoning children outside the but I mean that's what it is but you have to you're not looking at it correctly if you there's you no like, law against selling peanut butter sandwich I can hear what you'd say standing up in court I can just hear it <laughs> I can hear the explanation I didn't realise is all I would say and then take me away <laughs> yeah. yeah you're looking at this all wrong <laughs> yeah um thank you, you, so- you you've you've, yeah. you've brought up the grinding to a halt yeah I'm yeah. I'm really glad we've had a great conversation about sort of raising children. I don't profess to be an expert, but I got to say, I didn't realize this would all be about raising children. I, I was, I actually came on here for two reasons. Oh, here we go. The, the, the first, <laughs> the first reason was I thought you'd spent so much time 
either believing or pretending you were old, <laughs> that, that you needed a really old person to come on so you could see what they were really like. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, see, you haven't. I'm the only one who's forgotten what I was talking about so far. I'm the only one who's kind of what. Oh, I've gone out about three or four times, but yeah. I've come back again. <laughs> You've been very focused. Technology. Yeah. The second reason I'm going to say I'm slightly disappointed. Um, is that I wanted to put on one of those Yuri Gagarin caps that in your picture. You know the caps that make you look like a Russian astronaut? What happened to those in the picture? They're just beanies, Do we have I think. those? I think it's those photos of the beanies. Oh. I think we're just wearing beanies. In the picture I've got on a Mexican my iPhone, helmet, if you're interested. You've both got these, these Russian astronaut hats on. No, no, it's just beanies with these over the top. Yeah, oh, okay. I like the fact that your reference is Yuri Gagarin. <laughs> like that's showing your age. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> the cosmonaut era. Was he the a first? great gymnast? <laughs> he was the first human being in space, wasn't he? I think he was. I think yeah. he was, but he was he was Russian. <gasps> that's um. when they had to try and get it back. No, that was just beanies. Yeah, you you did send us a message on what now about saying <laughs> that. Uh, if you, well, we were saying we were, we were old when we were in our forties, yes. and you were saying if you could remember your forties, <laughs> that's be, right. Yeah. I can't remember my forties. Yeah, but I just thought it was so comical because, you know, your guys, you, you, so you've gone through the existential angst of your early years where you're looking for a partner, you want to reproduce yourself, you want to develop some means of making a living, and you're not where I am, where you're sort of decrepit and you can't remember what to say, and you know your body's falling apart. You're you're at the peak of your life, you know. You're yeah. in the years you should <laughs> really all of those be. Those factors I, I tick: bodies falling apart. <laughs> <laughs> Don't remember, can't remember what I was saying. Well, we've also done it the the uh, 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 a strange way around that your generation didn't do, which is we've done all our crazy uh, sort of early midlife re- crisis stuff yeah. early on, and then we've had kids in our forties. Yeah, you know, um, I think you were probably the same age as me, Derek, in your early forties when you yeah. first. Um, so it's an odd way around. It means we, we're subject to some of these issues that, like you remember when I had the hernia, yeah, the the, the, mul- the, the dual hernias, and I went to get the the scan, the um, ultrasound to check out these hernias, and the woman said, "Have you got a four year old?" Or a two-year-old, or whatever. You got a kid, because really? yeah, because they or I brought it up. It's shitty, but th- they get a whole lot of people, men in their forties, going in there now, who've yeah. got toddlers, who they've been lifting up and carrying around. Oh, they broke me, those kids. Yeah, oh. and so it's them. Someone in in the hernia business is making a lot of money out of middle-aged <laughs> dads. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel you're past your midlife crisis? You too. I've had that many. I started having them when I was thirty, <laughs> and I'm hoping. Because mm. technically we're three quarters life, you know. I suppose. Mm. Are we? No. Well, we shouldn't be. Oh, no. Look, I I I started to think of me and probably Dan as well. I've taken fiscally as well as you know physically. I've I've took taken an early retirement between the age of sixteen <laughs> and thirty five. <laughs> And it's gone now. So there'll be no retirement for me. <laughs> and so you just have to cop it sweet. It's like I've eaten all the chips and now I've just got the broccoli. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to learn to love broccoli. <laughs> that's, a, that's interesting coming from someone who's basically an optimist and a glass half full kind of person for you to view it in such dreadful You're, terms. Are you saying broccoli's bad? <laughs> wow. Right? Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> so, no, it's not bad. It's just you did eat the chips I first. Just that's don't, true. I just don't feel that life owes me anything or any good times. Right, <laughs> cruises. But your life just, expectancy, you two, will be well into your eighties. 
Well, yeah. So you you're only so. really halfway there, a tiny bit more, perhaps. No, I'm 52, so it's oh, okay. He's oh, no, your stuff. Deep, deep he's in here. <laughs> <laughs> he's giving himself a light. That was a uh, doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor's opinion. Your stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. That's been great. Uh, and just one more thing. I just, I just want to hear. I mean, I could, we could, I could ask you after, but we may as well here. The uh, how did you, how did you end up? Being um, involved in refugee doctoring. Oh, I was through Missy, actually, yep. sort of. Well, even before she got involved, <clears throat> I was thinking of getting involved because they're sort of our, our most sort of disenfranchised people. Um, but then she got involved doing charity shows for them and said, you know, you should do something. So I, so I just joined up and I just do voluntary work there now, seeing the refugees. Um, as a doctor. As a doctor. And it's enormously challenging sort of work, enormously enormously confronting, but really very rewarding, you know. So different from my other practice. These are people you feel they really need you, they're really appreciative, and you can you can make a difference. God, I hadn't so. thought about that. There really is a difference because with huge with, difference. Yeah, yes. yeah. You've, you're dealing with much more privileged people, yeah, obviously. Yeah. Like anyone's more privileged. There could, there could not be more of a contrast yeah. between between the two groups. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I'm sort of thick of thieves with them now, and it's just not just the medical part of the Asylum yeah. Seeker Resource Centre in Footscray. It's the whole. There are over a thousand volunteers there who work wow. there, and it's a huge organisation. Mm. Um, started by this very charismatic Greek fellow with an unpronounceable surname yeah. on something or other. But he's a human rights law and he's been fantastic. I he's might run have heard this whole him show. speaking on the radio. I think it started yeah. as a class thing, wasn't it? He was teaching started at Victoria as a sort Uni. of yeah, he was teaching at RMIT. RMIT. And he got his students to start up a soup kitchen right. in, in Footscray um, to serve the community and the refugees. And then he just snowballed from there and now that's the, the biggest private refugee organization in Australia. It's an amazing place. Yeah, and it's God. It's just hard to comprehend how. Back to being a parent, you know, like like parents with their little the young kids trying to get out of those countries. Mm. You were talking mm. about the fear of kids going to war and all that sort of stuff, mm. and having so so absolutely no control over their safety in certain places, and then resort. It's so hard to and comprehend the trauma those children go through. Yeah. So I had I had to give a talk last weekend. Um, there's an, there's an annual thing that's called the Uni World Health Organization Meeting Simulation. It's all uni students. And I gave a talk on refugee health. And as part of that, I showed Missy's clip on right. O Canada. I don't know if you've seen that. Mm. But it's it's a very emotive video. And all those, I mean, apart from what's happening because mm. of her song, there are all those pictures that are drawn by the refugee yeah. children That's about amazing. people being shot and blood coming out of them, you know, to expose the kids that age to that amount of trauma. They're real. They're so real. Sad. They're real drawings from like five year olds. Yeah. And, yeah, and it's just pictures of guys with machine guns shooting people and things oh, like that. It's like yeah. it's a devastating film clip, but it's so removed from our reality that it's yeah. so hard for anyone, unless they're in your position, yeah. seeing yeah. people who have got physical and emotional scars from that sort of stuff to feel. People have trouble feeling stuff for, for, for I suppose, because there's so much to feel. Yes, 
Yes, I guess so. But then I see those kids and the adults when they come to here. Mm. They're so resilient. It's Mm. lovely to see. They Mm. overcome all that. They just want to move on, you know. It's um, it's very heartwarming. And then the then the 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 very idea or the accusation that these people could be coming here as terrorists is so so insulting because yeah. it's it's the people that have come here under those circumstances most of the time who who appreciate it yeah. enough to really contribute and and really like look at all the the refugees and immigrants who have done who've you know really committed themselves to life in Australia yeah. and done amazing yeah. things. They, they're arguably the only people that do oh, any absolutely. work, uh, <laughs> migrants, legal yeah. or otherwise. You know, well, the government's own, own figures show that 90% of refugees on Manus and Nauru are true refugees, and yeah. that's from their own figures. Yeah. And so, they're still there. And they're still there. Well, yeah. we, you know, and they're going to they're gonna do – they're going to really take part when they eventually get here, if they eventually get here. They're going to yeah. be good. They're going to be valuable citizens to have. Have you seen okay. the apology? It's a, it's a, um, you know, do you remember the sorry apology mm. uh, um, about what happened before, sort of thing? The, the stolen the children. Rudd's apology. Aboriginal yeah, apology. Yeah. yeah. Well, someone's done a, an, a, a fake one of those for this for this right. event in history. But so it's, it's set, set in, in the future, two thousand and thirty-five or something like that. Mm. The, you know, they've got the prime minister. Sitting down and doing a heartfelt apology, really kind of right. was clever. We brought it home. It's like, oh, yeah, we let's get that's in, a good idea. Get embarrassed now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Well, have, we, have we gone seriously over time? We, well, time is no. We just kind of <laughs> we just because of the nature of this sort of rambling, prattling. You you, you don't want to kind of stick too strictly to times because you might be just about to find we might miss some, something. Oh. Yeah. A gem. We've got uh, yeah. Fo- yeah. we've got classic FOMO. We'll roll. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, but yeah, oh yeah, I wanted to hear about the refugee thing. That's amazing. Yeah. So the the, the uh, influence your kids have on you are pretty strong because it's a big part of your life. Well, now. there you are. You know, yeah. and that's another thing. You know, your kids grow up and they teach you stuff. Yeah, and you and learn maybe that, and you learn from them. Yeah, and that's probably a good way to kind of end. I suppose is that it seems like that's uh, if if you can, if you're willing to learn. Because you can either pretend that you've got nothing more to learn and not, or you can go on that journey with the kids and be yeah. learning stuff as they're learning stuff and then you're modelling yeah. learning, Yeah, you know. But, yeah, I, my mother always says that she, she's learnt more from, from us than she could could have taught us, you know. So it's, it's an It's a nice idea. It's a neat idea, isn't it? It yeah. closes the circle. Yeah, yeah. That we can, we, we've got a lot to learn if we're willing to take up the challenge. Yeah, I know I certainly do. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks. <laughs> thanks a million. Thanks, Chris. Dr. Chris Higgins. For being it's on the a show. pleasure to be here. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That awesome podcast was recorded at Castaway Studios in Collingwood. Here, we provide affordable, accessible, professional podcasting production facilities to the full range of podcasters, all the way from basic studio hire right through to full season production packages. You can get us on castawaycollingwood at gmail.com 
or just look up Castaway Studios on all the social medias. Mm-hmm.